welcome to The Kink Perspective. My name's Chris. I'm a psychotherapist and consultant. On today's episode, I have back in the studio with me today, uh, Brookish. If you all remember last time she was here, we had a great and wonderful and very enlightening discussion on the topic of lactation. But I have Brookish in the studio today for a different reason. Uh, she had posted this question uh, on her social media page about power exchange dynamics and where, as it coming from a dominant perspective, what they might be rooted in. And what's great is that this enlightening, thought-provoking, philosophical question um, made me egg her on into <laughs> coming back on the show today and really talking about this because uh, momentarily before we started recording, we started talking about the subjective nature that is BDSM. So with all of that ado, Brooke, thank you for taking time again and joining me back here on The Kink Perspective. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And before before you do start unraveling your question, I wanted to congratulate you on the publication of your book. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Labor of Love. We'll see how well it gets received. <laughs> I'm still waiting for some, some of the feedback that's coming. You know, it's kind of like that anxious anticipation of, how much people are probably going to hate it or not like it, or this is what I should have said. And eh, it's, but it helps me grow. As I bet. But, and that's the point. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's the same thing for us in the lifestyle and, and um, you know, it's, it's a learning evolution and mm -hmm. uh, how we connect and, and do things and, and grow and expand our community. Um, go ahead. Uh, what, what would you like me to <laughs> oh, so sorry. I thought you were going to comment on that or still elaborate. Um, so your question here about power dynamics for, from the dominant perspective, which I think is actually more important to, to also, because we have to talk about both sides, mm -hmm. honestly, if I, if I look at it. And when you posted this question, for me, like, you know, this that whole dominant sadist side kicked in and I'm like, well, it's all power. It's got to be all power. <laughs> even from the subtlest exchange, even in the beginning, we're, we're, we're starting to make inroads when we're talking with someone of whether or not we want to maybe potentially dominate that person or we want to submit to that person. So there's already at its core a light power exchange going on. And when you posted this question is if the desire to engage in power dynamics is rooted in power. That's why I kind of responded in the fashion that I did. I think it had to, it has to start in that base. I think it could evolve from love. Like if the relationship, the dynamic grows, if the relationship grows and feelings evolve, I think how those power dynamics then evolve would change. Mm -hmm. But I'm very curious from the other side, from the submissive slave bottom side, I'll kind of cover all my bases there. Mm. How does that evolve for in your perspective? I don't think that it's necessarily um, going to be categorized as all S types feeling the same way. And mm -hmm. when I read the responses, um, it seemed varied, but 
there were dominants who aligned their opinions with my own, which was almost the opposite, the flip of, of yours, in that for me it comes from love. People hear the word love and I think they have certain connotations of that, of being in love, um, and that's not how I'm interpreting it to mean love can be friendship, respect, reverence, connection. Connection is something that very deeply motivates my desire for DS and it's an energetic thing in fact. So for me when I meet a person, um it's something that's very viscerally felt on an intuitive level. Right. So and and which is why I asked further how do you know if that is someone who you actually desire to have power over because for me there's a feeling attached to a person's energy and how it collides with mine that has me even considering the notion of um of authority transfer um and that would need to be present first for me if that makes any sense no it does it does um <clears throat> i think you know in the essence of the grander bdsm world when we look at it when we're meeting people whether it's organically or digitally right mm. um we're trying to first figure out if there's an attraction because that's what's going to draw us towards somebody. Do I want to maybe engage with someone I don't know anything about? How do mm -hmm. I even strike up a conversation to get to the point that three months from now we're playing? Um, I still find it odd when I see the whole, oh, I've been with my master and I just got collared and it's been two weeks. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what? Yeah, mm -hmm. No, I don't. Different story for a different topic. But when I look at this, and I, I look at how do we go about this? I think about the people that I've met through my life. So one of the first dungeons um, that recently closed this past year, which was in, uh, in Atlanta, 1763. It's one mm -hmm. of the places I, I first met somebody and I was introduced to them through uh, another dominant that this they were kind of looking after them. And, you know, we sat down and a conversation formed, you know, exchanged names, things that we liked. And from there, it kind of started growing into, um, you know, hey, do we want to maybe take, meet up one day, have coffee, mm -hmm. and really start the the process of the back and forth of what will we want out of a BDSM style engagement with each other. Mm -hmm. I, I hesitate to use the word relationship because we never know where that it's going to go with somebody. It could just That's be a... So interesting because... As soon as you said that, and I heard the word engagement, and my brain wanted to change that to relationship, but that is the point of how nuanced people's intention is. I seek a relationship within the, the structure of a BDSM um, lifestyle. And so I think that's so interesting and curious, and there's nothing wrong with um, either approach it's you know finding that match 
So having more of a, um, I'm not sure what else to call it besides a, a, like a business plan or a transactional sort of arrangement that you're negotiating, um, that works so beautifully for some people. And there's many dynamics that, um, you know, discard the idea of romance entirely. Everyone's so different. Absolutely. Um, yeah. For me, when I approach something like that, it feels a little one dimensional, but I'm sure um, I'm becoming slowly aware that I'm probably a minority. <laughs> um, I'm, I don't think you are. I, I definitely, I see what you're saying as far as, um, because when I describe it as an engagement is because neither person at that particular moment knows where it's going to go. Nobody knows if feelings will ever develop, if there's going to relationship will be beyond just seeing together. Mm. Uh, if we'll have that kismet, that's mm. really going to kind of lock us in. Mm. Um, and subsequently, you know, a year, year and a half on from that, yes, feelings developed. There was, that emotional bond where I could understand breathing patterns of, you know, for one certain elevation of breathing rhythm meant more. And the other one was like, okay, I'm at my peak. I need you to, you know, to, to back down. Mm. Um, but again, that's through time. I think in the beginning, I hesitate to call things relationships or, or we may as a society want to call things as a relationship because we want to give it a formulaic structure. Mm. And I understand where you're coming from in that respect because you know you you're talking about that connection. If mm. I guess in essence there is the quintessential beginnings of a relationship there because you're two people trying to figure out in this world whether or not you want to interact mm. together, whether mm. it's texting, you know, even if it's in a vanilla sense, going out and having some dates or in, engaging further than that. Or in our lifestyle, having our coffees, getting to know someone, you know, going through the negotiation process, going through our histories, going through all the things that are necessary before we actually set up and play, at mm -hmm. least in how I conduct things. And then building from there that first nervous stage moment when you step into the limelight together and you yeah. engage. I love what you're saying in that there's no absolutes and that you are just allowing things to unfold um, in their own time because it, I think emergent DS is authentic mm. DS. Um, people rush to make it um, a very structured thing straight away instead of just saying if these things naturally come about. Um, but what I love about the kink community is that we have these really raw and transparent conversations prior to engagement. Um, you know, they're borderline, they're borderline odd sometimes. Um, the, the amount of detail and the, the questions that we're able to ask each other. Um, it's unheard of, say, in vanilla dating to ask some of the questions ahead of time um, that we do when we're forming 
any kind of play dynamic or power exchange dynamic. But when we're talking about negotiation and we're talking about relationships, if that's something that is important to me, I know for myself that when I do get to a certain level of chat with a person and then maybe that mutual interest there, it's something that I definitely bring up. It's not a, you know, can you promise me this? It's a, are you open to this? Because if there is someone who is a dominant, say, and they are not open to a romantic relationship, they are not looking for something that is deeply connective, um, it tells me, it gives me a lot of information that's important to me that shows me that my needs are not going to be met and emphasis on needs over over wants there as well. So I think sure. when we're negotiating, we talk a lot about, um, you know, at, at, oh, we're looking for an overlap in our kinks and we're talking about different tools and experiences and um, triggers and all of those things which are very important. But I wonder if perhaps we don't spend enough time negotiating the the underpinning relationship, uh, the intent, um, you know, why are you here? Not what do you want to do, but what do you want to feel? You know, why are you entering this dynamic? What do you want to feel in this play scene? Um, and those are the negotiations that I'm really interested in because they they go deeper. Even the mini negotiations within a dynamic, if you're instigating a protocol or a ritual, why is it there? What are you gaining from that? Is it just because, you know, this seems like what everyone else is doing, so we're applying a bit of a cookie-cutter approach, or is this going to grow one of us in some way or the other? Well, um, that is the hope, right? Hmm. That we're going to grow yeah. and learn from from the relationship itself. I will say on a personal level for me, the same rules apply. Mm -hmm. If a relationship is not in the beginning of my BDSM journey, some 20 plus whatever years ago, um, uh, not to date myself too much. I think I was less interested maybe because I didn't understand the emotional component. Um, mm. It didn't take very long though, that I realized when I met somebody, it was like, that's fine. I'll, you'll just talk me and I'll just be your bottom. And I didn't really even understand the nuances of that. Because the moment I try to interject care, they were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We didn't mm. negotiate this. Um, mm. I'm fine without aftercare. I don't need it. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you next week. And it kind of left me empty. Yeah. And from there, or and since that moment, moving forward, I agree with you. My, well, even the dynamic I'm in now, going on nine years, um, it had to be emotionally based from the beginning. It's something, if there's not at that exchange of thought and feeling and response, I'm not getting anything from the power exchange anyway. Mm. Because it's then there's such a vital component missing. Yeah, it's just not enough. No. Um, yes. And it's kind of like what I, so I looked at, when I really looked at kind of 
trying to break down your question and I looked at bondage and domination, dominance, submission, sadism, and masochism. And then I looked at these areas that I sent to you to kind of look at that we would talk about today. Even if we if we go with each step, so we look at bondage and discipline first, which is, this is this exchange of control. I'm placing you in the restraints. I'm disciplining you for this act. We've had to, if we, even though those are under the guise of control, to get to that stage, we've had to negotiate, we've had to talk, we've had to reverse or rehearse potentially a scene that's coming up, or at least discuss a scene we're going to do, or cover some bases of rules. Because for me to, or a dominant in that position, to exert that level of control and energy and thought, everything has to be negotiated. Mm -hmm. And we have to be having these conversations of what we really want out of it. I think a lot of the times when I look at, or like when I talk with couples that come to me out of the lifestyle, um, the struggle is one side or another it's been, oh, I've read the, you know, I've read Fifty Shades, I'm good, or I've seen the secretary, I, I get dominance and submission. Mm-hmm. But it's, and, you know, I try, I, I can't giggle, I can't, I got to sit there and I, you know, I'm listening. Oh, yep, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'll have you in the background uh, while I have my next therapy session with a couple and you can giggle for me. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have you as the, the, uh, the coffee table we'll all put our cups on. Oh, careful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the obje- we still have to get to the objectification podcast one of these days. Yeah. But um, there's often that com- there's these components that are seem to be missing. And it's exactly what you're talking about. We're not going deep enough. And that's there can be a plethora of reasons for that. That's we're afraid to open up, we're afraid to trust. Oh, definitely. We're Vulnerability. Afraid to exp- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability is a big one, you know. Mm-hmm. Or we have past traumas that are keeping us withheld from not letting our walls down, even three, six, a year into a relationship, because we're still wondering. We're still on that moment of we're just waiting for this person to hurt us. Yeah. So we're not even allowing ourselves to be in the moment to enjoy it. Immediacy is important and, um, you know, what's nice is that for a lot of people, um, maybe they don't actually feel that something's missing. Maybe they're very content at where they are, where they are and that's great too. Like I'm fascinated by, you know, the topography of people and more so people in connections. Um, because I, for me, connection is the point. I think people grow us, they trigger us, they soothe us, they can reflect ourselves back. Um, you know, each and every union is unique and we should be treating them as such. But when I try and coming into this particular, um, episode, I was overwhelmed actually because when I started trying to, unpick it in my mind and all the elements that are involved it's like you know when you watch a crime a crime genre show mm-hmm. I have the bulletin board full of photos and there's like a wall brainstorm going on with things just <laughs> yep shooting I've been there in my past yes I know what you mean 
So that is BDSM to me. And so when I get overwhelmed looking at something like that, I pull it back to its simplicity. And that was the intent behind BS, which was what inspired my uh, question on FET. And for me, I think there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of intent. Um, and at one end, there's lust and desire and exploration, hedonistic um, endeavors. So, yep. Sexuality is a huge, yes, yes. huge motivator for a lot of people. And that's fine. Uh, you know, we need more playfulness in our life as adults that can't go astray. Sure, um, even if we screw up Schrodinger's cat example, for example. <laughs> I'm still mad about that. <laughs> when we gonna... can see inside the box, it's not an example of Schrodinger's cat. I was going to use that life to go to Greece, and now, my... <laughs> now I've got less time to travel. Um, people can sit in that, and that's absolutely fine. What I'm finding myself is that I move largely in the other direction of the spectrum and down there we find, you know, uh, love, being seen and understood, vulnerability, uh, you know, co-regulation, um, like imprinting on another person, transfer of knowledge. Um, you know, I talk about transcendence. Um, altered states of consciousness, oh, the polarity between like masculine and feminine energies, sort of an unpeeling of self, and people can look for catharsis and surrender. And you know, these aren't buzzwords, they're actual deep desires and purpose in our life that BDSM can be a tool to, to unlock very heavy things. And it's okay that not everyone wants that because it's a very deep rabbit hole to go down. Do you think, and this, while you were saying that, this question just popped in my mind because mm -hmm. then it was transported back to where I was, to where I am now. Do you think mm -hmm. we can even reach that revelation, or revelation in the beginning without time, without I understanding what the community is? Mm -hmm. I think it's it, it's heavily impinged on your own life experiences um, and without getting to, I'm a spiritual person, so I, I could go off on a tangent about whether how many lives preceded this one in how much information you've brought with you to the here and now. So I think that's very different for everyone. I think it's probably more common to approach the scene as a newbie um, feeling happy with just the exploration components and the sensation um, you know you mentioned that sadomasochism is rooted in sensation and as a masochist sensation is actually far from what the point of a scene with my sadist is so in the beginning, yes, I wanted to know what things felt like. Um, as my own journey has unfurled over the years and my own um, research and 
having the privilege of speaking to people and attending workshops with people whose values do align with mine, their versions of BDSM align with mine. I've, I've felt some sense of relief in in finding people, like picking them out of the pool that are able to have conversations that resonate with me about this being more than, you know, whacking each other at play parties. And I even, even reached a stage where at play parties I wasn't feeling engaged as a spectator. If I couldn't see something quite magical um, and energetic between two people. Mm-hmm. Then was very mechanical and I was disinterested. And as an individual, I can find even that BDSM implements, whether they be furniture or impact tools or whatnot, they can actually create distance in the connection for me. Um, but my, my personal kinks and submission are very psychologically based. So mm-hmm. I am more drawn to people with the creativity to inspire, um, surrender or play with just our minds, just our minds and our, and our connectedness, energy, their hands. Um, these sorts of things. Well, sure, because a whisper in the ear creates far more of an imaginary state than uh, an implement in the hand. And mm-hmm. I've talked about that before in the past, that we spend an inordinate amount of money on wanting to make our home, you know, a quasi-dungeon. Mm. And I'm like, but how much thought are you actually, you know, great, you've got sex machines and uh, spanking horses and St. Andrew's Cross and all these toys, and you well, can use them. We're conditioned towards materialism, aren't we? We're sort of just collecting the things. Absolutely. Yeah. But then how much thought are you actually putting into the scene? Oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to tie this person to the St. Andrew's Cross and I'm going to whip them for 15, you know, 15 minutes and then we're going to move to, they're going to go spanking. And I'm like, but that's not organic. No, it, there's there's no, it's not flow. It's more, it's, uh, it's more machine like. It's more automation. Yeah, and sorry, you go can... ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say when it, in, you know you brought up the aspect of spirit spirituality, and when I look at even power di- the the root of power dynamics and where they are, there is a spiritual sense to it because then we are even in the beginning when we go through this ritualistic nature for many of us, and I realize that protocol for me, I'm high protocol that aspect for me has to be there. So it's highly spiritualized. It's highly ritualistic. If I'm not getting that feedback from the people, my private group that I associate with or the person that's bound to me, if that flow isn't there, there is a, a lackadaisical response from myself. I have nothing to feed from and I have nothing to grow or want to exert my control over because then I switch into just automatic mode and I'm no longer creative. I'm no longer 
engaging in the moment where I'm driving, feeling coupled with power. Yes. Dominance inspires submission. Submission inspires dominance and it keeps going around in a circle. And I think that, you know, inspired as a as opposed to demanded is very important. And then when I listen to what you're saying we pull it back to the original question, which was sort of like the love versus power debate, I feel like it's almost which came first, the chicken or the egg, because no one's denying that they that they're both there. Um, and you can trade out the word love with whatever you like, fondness, care, connection. They're both there, but what has been the motivator? So for me, am I going to want to follow the command of someone that I don't respect and care for? If someone is doing something for you that makes you feel powerful, but that person's a stranger to you and you don't necessarily desire their worship, then that is empty power as well. It would be awkward for you to have someone uh, bestow an honorific on you or kneel at your feet if that person hadn't developed some of your affection first. Sure. And this is kind of why I said to you before that TPE isn't really based on the separation between that reality and fiction. Yeah. That it it is a part of every it's it's a part of every day of our life. Yeah. When we're making a choice of um, you know, in our work life or if you have kids, you're making a decision whether to telling them what to do and there is no contemplation there. There is no room for um, feedback it's just get it done so you're exerting control so we if we look at it that way these power relations for us there's a there's a huge external and internal drive that we scrutinize on every level and when we look at the motivations behind them every one of these ex, they're not exclusionary to how a power exchange works between two people. Yeah. Where I sometimes get caught in the argument, um, how does the power, is there power being derived from the submissive to the dominant? And I will often tell people, even being in the dominant place, well, both parties actually hold an equal amount of power. It's just one person deciding to give up that power inside of the relationship. It's like a veto. There's mutual growth. There's mutual worship. There's mutual service. Um, Absolutely. But the dominant does hold the authority. They have the last say. Hopefully they're doing things that are going to be in the best interests of their submissive. Um, and I, I would elevate that higher and actually say that I would hope that the dominant is doing and making the best judgments for the dynamic itself. Because it's not only just serving the submissive, it's got to also serve them. So if we're only doing one thing that's going to be beneficial for the submissive, but is, you know, I'm only going to feel good about 70% of it, then it's yeah. not benefiting me. Yeah. And that it creates that aura of resentment, frustration, and the other feelings that can come along with it. Yeah. 
So I really think that when we look at some of these things, we, and it's funny because my mindset has changed so much, especially as I've gotten into psychology that, you know, before was it's my way or the highway and this is how it's going to work. And then, you know, of course I got past the age of 25 <laughs> realize mm. that's not going to work out very well for me. Mm. Birthday candles do interesting things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to, the moment that I found that I was seeking that engagement, I was seeking to under, you know, hear from their side, to have that, uh, for my submissive, to have that autonomy to speak and give me feedback, because then that became the moment in that exchange for me to grow. Yeah. I learned from then, okay, um, you know, never had beforehand, I realized how important was it to talk after doing aftercare, not during, I don't want to hear about things then right now. It's that point is we're taking care of each other. We're nurturing each other back after something intense, but it's definitely going to be important a day or two later to talk about the scene itself. Mm. What, yes. And I tend to find that we're rushing so many of these things together and we're in this, it feels like some people are in this competitive race to become the most TPE or erotic power exchange couple on the planet. Like there's an award somewhere that I've yeah. apparently missed out on for the last 25 years. And yeah. um, they, they seem to be skipping so many steps. And I, the more I keep looking at your question now, what's the desire, what's the motivator to engage in power exchange dynamics? It's not just one thing. No. It has to involve a combination of a lot of things that are much more introspective. It is power. It is love. It's spirituality. It's ritual. It's control. It's authority. It's sensation. It's implementation, it's imagination, it's feeling, it's emotion, it's physical health, mm. communication. And if we don't have those things, power exchange is not going to start without and without any of them. It's it's never going to begin. It's going to always end faster because if we're not engaging or we're not reciprocating along the way, even for tops and bottoms, I know for them, I think they're about the only group that it's much more transactional. I just want to go. Um, I have a client that's a professional bottom. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's for that exchange, it's purely transactional. The person mm -hmm. comes in, they pay their money, they set up their scene, they do the scene, and then, you know, it's over. That's it. And there's specific parameters. Um, but you know, then I sit and listen when I talk with them and it's like, but I still, I, I'm missing the care aspect and I'm missing the, the after aspect and the follow through and, and the nurture and the commands and tasking and the, all the things that come along with it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, when I really look at the work aspect that goes involved into all of this, it is a bigger combination that I think the simple nature, your question actually isn't simple. You're, I hope you're, not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. When you sent me that email and I, and I went and read, I think it was about 40 minutes before I responded because I sat there and I'm like, well, I don't even know how to really answer this. 
what would you like to talk about, Chris? Hmm, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. I don't even know anymore. Like, I, if I, I just got to realize now when you send me these questions, uh, I'm going to have to be prepared to, like, a big formulaic response and probably bust out some old articles that I've written somewhere in time. We should have um, at least. I know. I, I really, I should have sat down with some coffee and a sandwich and a whole lot of things. Um, and it's why even in my response, and it was, I was curious about that for you because I, I wanted to say, I didn't want to write, you know, a 20 page dissertation on, on a power exchange because it's only going to come from my view anyway. But that's why I told you in my response, well, I forgo the whole part of the exchange, but now I really understand for you why you can't forgo it. You want to understand on those levels from those people about that connection. And it's just about slowing down. You know, it's slowing down. And and you're talking about how the competitiveness and and these things that go on in the scene. And I think uh, there are a few reasons that that happens. One is that frenzy, because when you are exposed originally to these things that have felt like a very meaningful part of you, um, that haven't been able to be expressed for some time, you know, there's some emotion attached to that and people can find themselves um, in a frenzy. Um, we talk about vetting and yet our vetting is so basic. It's, it's you know, meet with this person in a public space and are they involved in the scene publicly? Do you have mutual friends? Um, yeah, that can get you to a certain point but my experience is that a lot of that is kind of garbage and that there are people that can check all of those boxes and still be terribly unsafe so my sure. the, the slowing down aspect for me that emergent ds or emergent connection in general um my mentor one of the things the many beautiful things that she has said to me um over our time that has stuck with me is that it takes two years to know a racehorse and that by a two-year mark you have seen someone respond to a whole range of different scenarios um and it's at that point that you can truly i guess start to feel comfortable that you know someone properly and yet like you say People are jumping into collars after a number of weeks, um, and these things they 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 go badly because people they they desperately wish to have this thing of importance. You know, they just want they want something more, and so sometimes. That needs to come with patience. Sure. Sometimes that needs to come with trust that, you know, that is there for you and it will come for you when you're ready and if you're both a match. And there's, there's humility there in being able to, um, deal with, say, rejection if something is not, not working out or you're, or you're not, um, aligned and going in the same direction that's fine too um we need to stop worrying so much about the online representation of our dynamics i think people see and want to replicate things that look 
a certain way to them um, instead of wondering, like you say, what am I going to get out of this exchange? Sure. What and I think I think there's another key component, component you're talking about when you were you first started here, and that's over this two, three month process, it is um, anticipation. We're mm. building Delicious. that anticipation. Yeah. I love anticipation. I love knowing like when that next conversation is going to happen. I'm nine years on. I still make daily calls to that person in my life. We're still texting nine years on. We mm -hmm. still, you know, we are having these in-depth conversations, but because we're also forgetting that there's such a shiny veneer on the lifestyle. And it's, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I did a, a podcast and I talked about the whole fantasy versus reality. Mm -hmm. And I talked about how much work has to go into it versus what we see that people are, oh, well, yeah, you know, this Brookish put up this photo of her in a box and, and you know, kind of blurred and, and it just looks, and I'm like, that's a millisecond of time. But do you understand how much work was involved in that? Mm. How much conditioning throughout her life that she went through to get mm. to that point right there to do to decide just to do that? Well, that's all social media, isn't it? We we put forward the, the fun parts and the best parts of ourselves. Sure. And you don't really get to see the behind-the-scenes blueprint of, of what it takes to um, sustain healthy relationships and friendships. And, well, uh, sure. Yeah. And I think that you brought up the reciprocity thing, and that felt lovely to me. I like to approach something any connection outside of bdsm also just to a friendship level is i guess two things actually one would be you know meeting someone's energy uh -huh. because if someone's only willing you can only meet someone where they're willing to go so Things can become lopsided very quickly if you're um, bringing expectations. I don't like. No, you lie. <laughs> to see what feels authentic to that person. How much do they want to communicate with me? How available are they for me? And then I will match that. But I'm the dom, and if I pick up the phone and I snap my fingers, you're there in lingerie and a collar, kneeling at my feet. Your boobs out and a nice cold beer. Sure. What color is the lingerie? <laughs> uh, probably forest green or black. You know, I'm all about the garters and stockings and sometimes heels. Fair. Uh, the other thing when you're actually in a dynamic is, you know, what have I done for my dynamic lately? And if both parties are asking themselves that intermittently, things should usually stay on track. Um, and I've been very interested in my own sort of unpacking of, of service and aligning that with mistakes I have made in the past of anything that I'm giving to you being, you know, um, something that's going to add value to your life. And in fact, 
if that isn't something that the dominant partner wants, it's not actually service. And uh, these are things that I'm integrating into, you know, future me and a future dynamic one day when when um I find a person who exists on the other side of, of this coin for me. Um and what's interesting is you're not rushing it. No. No, no. Definitely not. And that's that's the part I think a lot of people tend to miss out on is because it's not this is not a sprint. There's there is no end goal. There is no tape to cross. This is a marathon. And it's There's, a pace we have to maintain for as long as we want to yeah. stay inside of a dynamic and dynamics tend to only fail whether or not um, they're willing to put in that effort. You have to be willing to do all these things. You have to be willing to, oh, you know, like, for example, one thing I have I do in the beginning is um, I have three phases outside of limits. I have non-negotiables, negotiables, mm -hmm. and X factor. And non-negotiables for me are work, family, education. If it, you know, if the need arises, I'll get to that in a second. Health, um, and those four factors supersede our dynamic. If mm -hmm. anything is going on, it's a, it's a, you know, beyond, you know, red or stop or pineapple or whatever the hell you're, you know, somebody's go fish <laughs> safety word is and then the negotiables come in and we you know and then people are like oh well what are you negotiating i'm like well and that this is where you negotiate whether you'll have sex or how often you're going to play if you're going to go to events together do you want to train together what types of things are the interests that you both have seeing the dynamic grow and mm -hmm. i'm like that's it's just a start this is the framework and finally i move into x and x factor for all the things we can't control which is pretty much life and yeah. you have to learn to be flexible inside of that. You can't hold a rigid power structure with somebody and um, their grandmother dies, but yet you want them to come over and do a scene right now because you're feeling all powerful. It's right. not going to work. Yeah. You're negating your partner's emotional state for your own selfish desire. And I yeah. see a lot of selfishness when I tend to look around social media, when I look at Twitter or Instagram or FetLife or Fetish.com, and I read all of these stories, and it's the same thing. We're exerting selfishness, and it doesn't matter what side of the slash we're on. We're not recognizing the needs. There's at least at the bare minimum in a dynamic, there's two people. Mm. And it's not a bike path. It's a two-way street. Mm. From a submissive side, I think we're more inclined to go the other way. Um, a, a lot of us are drawn, like for me, service is a, a very real part of who I am and I've explored that in other ways in my, in my life through very meaningful volunteer work and um, other bits and pieces. Um, I think submissives can carry people-pleasing tendencies so right. we're probably more likely to put the other person first in a range of situations. And so having a dominant who isn't subscribing to the stereotypes of stoicism and, you know, um, needing to be in control all the time and not being allowed to be vulnerable or humble, um, I think 
dominance with humility and a realistic idea of what this is going to look like in 2023 surrounded by as you say life that's a green flag um and it's stepping out of those um those roles and more into what your own expression of dominance and submission is going to look like right it's it's the spectrum again but the spectrum might be more about um you know high protocol versus low protocol um you know authority transfer versus power exchange and then where you're sitting on that spectrum as you say at different times in life depending on what's going on whether it's a a big thing like a yeah illness or some stressor or whether it's you know for me when I go when I have been in a dynamic and I've gone out in public, I love for that to be a high protocol situation because it expresses the beauty and the respect of my dynamic. And because I think it's nice to expose people to that for a change because it's not something that I see all that often. And I have received really lovely messages afterwards from people um, back in those, in those situations where they have enjoyed witnessing that and obviously enough to um, inspire them to reach out and say something about it so I'd love to see even more just high protocol spaces in our community um, so that we I would too I think it's I think it's a part of the lifestyle that I'm I'm being ex-military for me it just fit because yeah. it's structures and it's rules. Um, I've only been to two high protocol events in my time and they were, to this day, I still talk about them. Mm. And it's just so fascinating and so enthralling. But that world's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to get involved in the rules and those structures and um, following orders and the hierarchies um, that are part of that world. But there's a reason um, that those images are resonating with people, even if it's a photo on set life. And then certainly, as you say, when you've been present at these events, there's a swirling magic there. There's something transcendent. There's something very real, you know, where um, and people can be frightened by intensity, perhaps. Um, yeah. And if more people just lent into intensity, they might find parts of themselves there that they're otherwise unable to access. And I think that's really worth doing. Discomfort isn't always a bad thing. In fact, the opposite is usually true. Well, I mean, again, then it brings up another point. Then what are we, you know, some people are all about what they see and what they want to emulate, but then it still comes down to the basic concept of effort Mm. and effort. When when we really look at and expand the realm of what it really takes to be in a full, and if we take even a basic understanding of a TPE dynamic or erotic power, erotic power exchange, Mm. um, 
how much work has to go into that. Because we're talking about all that communication. We're talking about what needs do you, what needs do you need met? What needs do I think I can meet? Mm. What needs that I need in return? And mm. can you match those in return? Are we going to be compatible? You know, um, I had somebody once in my life that eventually got into rope. I'm not a rope fan. I think it's beautiful, but 15 okay. hours, I know, I know. But, you know, 15 hours to tie somebody up while I've already done my scene, had my breakfast, had my dinner, while you're still getting tied up, um, conducted another scene, gave a talk, and you're still getting tied up. Then I packed my shit up and went home, and then finally you're ready for photos. I'm bored. <laughs> And it's true. It's true. Rope takes forever. Yeah. <laughs> so no, that's that's the one. It is the running joke. I used to say that same joke in its variation to my old mentor that used to that loves doing rope work. I just I think it's it's, it's beautiful. I don't have the patience. I was in the Navy and tying stuff up took like five minutes or less. And if we couldn't, well, the ship then you know drifted out to sea. So it's, we got really good really fast. It's part of what I love about it. It draws it draws a certain kind of person in. Um, you know, when you're talking about effort, the effort that riggers go to, mm -hmm. the dedication that they put into their craft is massive and the the typically the person underneath discipline like that is very appealing to me. So I'll put you on the spot. Do you have a fam do you have a favorite rigger? Uh, my own, obviously. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, there yet. are some, you know, there are the, the big photos out there of the people who, you know, have been doing it for 45 years and stuff like that, and or all the quasi-experts in their field, which is another thing that I, I typically tend to see when we're looking at examples for power exchange. It's really why I've started moving away from the phrases of, um, community leaders i started using the phrase community demonstrators because mm. at the end of the day they are only people are only demonstrating their version of bdsm to us and what appeals mm. to them yeah and rope photos are beautiful and i you know artistic um aesthetic things on the internet are lovely but i don't know how it feels to be in that photo i only know how it feels to be in my uh you know, rope connection, and that is at its two-year mark now, uh, and I've not felt any um, any deficit there in our lovely friendship. So uh, that's an easy question. He's my favorite. Yeah, move on. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give him a big head. His no. head might grow, you know, from the extra hormones that <laughs> no you don't want to you don't want to give a shameless plug so the world knows how fantastic he is i'm sure i'm sure anyone listening can uh figure that out for themselves uh and i don't want to i don't want to put him on the spot either <laughs> oh, I've, I've got a feeling that's going to lead to a lot of questions later on for you but that's all right <laughs> um but yeah, you know, there's, there is all of these things. There are all of these challenges that we do face inside. And that's why when we come back to the root of your question, where is 
where is your desire and power dynamics? If we actually even, you know, contract it more, what's your draw to it? Then you can add all these other caveats that come into it. And I think that's really the, the core essence of it. Mm. And I don't think, I think if there's one question we, we have to wrestle first besides what role or what we want to gain from the lifestyle, if you want to go into DDLG or you want to be in power exchange or you want to be a model or a, a rigor or whatever, if you're going to do some form, because all of them have a form of power dynamics, what, what do you understand them to be? What do you, you're right. What do you want from them? And then you have to ask yourself, what am I willing to give? Mm. Can I give not just because giving ourselves physically to something is fine. I've, you know, you and I could go and interact and we're like, great, we're going to go and do a scene. But if I'm not there emotionally, I'm half-assing that scene. I'm not into it. I'm going to be thinking about, you know, I can't wait to, cool, I'm done doing my scene with Brooke. I'm, I really can't wait to get to McDonald's and have a hamburger. Because mm. if I'm not into it, if I'm not connected, it translates. Yes. Yeah. And when I really, like a while ago, I had Miss um, Kitten on here and she was talking about needle play, for example. And uh, it was an intense conversation for me. It's not a play, but when I've, I've had a chance and I keep, I follow her and her artwork is so beautiful. And I look at these snapshots, this half second moment that's captured. Mm. And I'm thinking about how much intricate work goes into that exchange when you're talking about, you know, getting into the power exchange of piercing skin yeah, and, and blood. And now we're, we're moving into another element of, you know, where there's a fluid exchange and, and now we're adding the elements of being tested so we can be safe all the way around and how much thought goes into these things. And we see these things and we're not asking these deeper questions, not only of, I, i I find it, I get a lot of these questions. Oh, I'll, I'll ask somebody a question and I'll get ridiculed. I've never once seen like on your page, somebody ask you a question and you be rude or unkind or somebody belittle them if they're, you know, asking a genuine question. And I think so many people have gotten to that point where they hear these stories of, oh, I was belittled for asking a question and I'm never going to, well, then how do you, how do you expect to grow? Because I'm, no one's going to baby bird feed it to you. I'm intoxicated by learning new things. Um, expansion is very important to me. Mm -hmm. um, my version of a dominant is someone who is going to facilitate that expansion. Um, at, at, at what cost to me is up to him. Um, and I'm grateful that everyone contributes uh, when I do pose a question because I'm not doing it for engagement. I genuinely am rolling an idea around in my head, and I need to I need to um, witness what other people's version of that is so that I can formulate my own. Um, experiences help us to formulate our opinions as well, which I think is why we can um, 
refine our view of of BDSM the longer that we are actually in it. Um, and you said it. We don't ask deep questions. Where, in my opinion, spiritual beings in a very odd representation of the world were distracted, were constantly distracted by things, Netflix and, um, you know, phones and work and, um, small talk. And so our environment usually isn't conducive to depth, but it's there if you want it. Um, right. And the more that we ask these questions, the more that you will be a magnet for other people that want to have those, those, you know, deeper topics of conversation, conversations like this that are not linear at all. <laughs> they just go on all sorts of different tangents because language, um, and conversation, I think, is a under, an underdeveloped and underused tool for self-exploration. As I've spoken to you today, it's free flow thought. Things are coming up for me, um, you know, that I get to look at with curiosity as they're sort of tumbling out of my mouth. Um, I'm, I'm forming my thoughts aloud. I'm listening to yours and I'm integrating the parts I like and I'm, and I'm leaving behind the parts I don't and you'll be doing the same to me. And that's why. That's why we should be engaging more in, in conversations and learning and um, that's the point. Oh uh, no, I, I, I agree. And that's kind of I think why I pushed to, to want to talk about this because it's just there's so much more to this, um, you know, to even borrow the phrase from Transformers than just meets the eye. There really is. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know how else to say it because it's yeah. not the the question you posed, it's not simple. It's it's a lot deeper, and it it requires far more growth than sometimes we're willing to give things, because mm. if we aren't willing to give what we think a good answer may or may not be, then how are we going to grow from it? How are we going to learn? How are we going to actually even help anyone in the community outside of our own little bubble? Yeah. People want to belong. They want to be seen and understood. I think that's the basis of humanity. Um, people are worried to be hurt. And like you say, like that can be the case in entering relationships and dynamics, but it can also be the case in conversation. There's many people who are worried to voice their opinion because other, others can be unkind, you know, and, and when your thoughts, when your private thoughts are met with unkindness um that can make you want to stop sharing and being oh absolutely 100 percent. and that that's that's a lot of what i see with you know people who um people who even come to me because their confidence is shattered right yeah and that's that's the real essence of what you're getting to instead of being open and responsive I said this a few weeks ago. I, I, I had this thought over this weekend. Um, I had went to a party and there was somebody brand new there. And um, one of the subs that's been with uh, 
my friend. God, they've, you know, 22 or three year dynamics, just incredible. But this new person, she had just turned and she's like, you're fucking being annoying and out loud. Like, I think she meant to internalize it and didn't come out that way. And this new person's face just froze. And I'm looking at overwhelming sadness. My mm-hmm. friend, the, her dominant turned to her and in the loudest point possible says to her, you seem to forget your place and where you started that we were all vanilla once. Oh, humbling. And her face dropped and she welt up and obviously, you know, there was the exchange and some other things went on between them. And those of us around kind of just comforted this new person where it's like, it's okay to ask questions. Sometimes a lot of questions can be overwhelming for us. So just understand that, you know, we want to engage. We're just also happily engaging with our friends. So bear with us. Mm-hmm. I try to approach it diplomatically, but mm-hmm. they were much more humbled that here comes this person that's, you know, ominous, very booming voice, and then kind of recentered and refocused everything and took an embarrassing moment and, and took back. Um, so they, they didn't feel out of place anymore. They didn't feel like um, they were going to be isolated and alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that's why I brought that. I talked to him afterwards. I'm like, I have to say this, that we were all vanilla once. And we seem to forget that in this exchange and, and looking and learning. And then, of course, there are those, too, that are like, nah, I you know, don't care. I've, I've seen what I've seen. I'm good. Uh, I'm just going to go about my day. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, good luck to you. I don't know how that's going to work out for you, but uh, you let me know. There's an odd phenomenon as well of people wanting to, um, you know, be, uh, for lack of a better word, flawless and not just owning, you know, the the things that might be perceived about themselves as negative. But that is who we are. We all have um, bits and pieces of ourselves that are difficult we have the parts that shine and are amazing and we have the parts of us that um suck that thank you yeah just i'll say it i know what you're saying people strive to hide those you know they want to hide those and mask them and i'm not sure if it's just because uh my brain doesn't operate in a neurotypical way but i see this as not something to judge people on because we all have it and it all looks different but there's patterns and and lots of it looks the same as you would know um in your line of work it's repeating things um it's just data it's just you know show me your good bits show me the bad bits too it's just data i'm not going to judge someone on on the things that they didn't choose for themselves. Um, that's what makes them who they are. And if we all approached people with a little more tolerance and kindness, um, compassion for where people have been, what they've seen, um, we can just be curious and able to have you know, better relationships and better discourse without the 
malice and the competitiveness and the drama that can that can unfold amongst human beings. I feel very, very privileged to have a social circle that is respectful and I like I say, this is the reason and I grow. I'm surrounded by very intelligent people who articulate their thoughts well, who are welcoming of of newcomers. I've I've never seen anyone in my circle treat someone um poorly um because they have a curious mind, you mm-hmm. know. Um and it's why I've been able to get to my own place of understanding is because people were welcoming and kind to me and humoured me any time I wanted to pick their brain and ask questions. And I think that my um, community locally is, for the most part, very good at that. We have some some um, really interesting and engaging people around, yeah. And that's what fosters growth. That's what fosters making... Um, our community have longevity. Yeah. And and that was the other part of what I said too, whether you're new, find someone to help you, be humble. And if you have experience, share it. Mm. Because I can't, for me, it's changed. I stopped mentoring a few years ago. I don't have the time on occasion. I, I'm happy to answer questions to anybody who asks, but you know, people want to know and they need a resource. And unfortunately, looking at your social media, is it's not a resource. It's not. Right. It's a facade to those fractionary moments of even fake applications of things like Schrodinger's cat, for example. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Um, but yeah. 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 I'm going to hammer away on that one because we could see inside the box, Brooke. You could, we could report see... the photo. <laughs> <laughs> violation of Schrodinger's <laughs> principle, but no, it 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 is. We we tend to we all tend to forget where we started um, because we do. We get high enough up. We've you know we've been in the scene now. We've developed our friendship. We played at a few clubs. We maybe have hosted or helped organize some events, and ego. yeah, and ego takes over, mm. and we have to. That's why, like when I thought with my friend. Humility remains. Yeah. Um, and for his job, you wouldn't think it, um, but he is a truly humble man, and um, it's it's still wonderful to see. Um, mm. And I've got 25 years on, I've got a really great support network of, you know, hey, I've got a question, and I'm looking for an answer, and I can ask. And I'm not afraid, even after all this time, to ask, because it's how we grow. And I learn things all the time. All the time. I love, I went to a, a workshop not long, a couple months ago on zip ties and PVC piping oh. um, for, for, yeah, for new restraint methods. And, um, oh God, it was amazing. I'm like, I'm never going to go to like a Bunnings or a Home Depot ever and look at stuff ever the same way again. Nice. Not that I did anyway, but. But, but more aisles are now. Yes. Area. Yes. Absolutely. And and that was the point. And, you know, it's the creative ingenuity. And that's what you said before when we talked about the mind. It's how do, how do we keep creating 
because um, there's toy makers and stuff out there and, and I pay homage to them all the time. I think they're valuable contributors to the community. But if we're not using our minds to set up the scene in the first place, mm-hmm. if we're not constructing what we want out of it, nothing grows anyways. We're all just dead in the water, kind of shouting and barking orders at each other. And somebody's just standing around deciding whether or not they want to follow it in the first place. Without creativity, it becomes that you know what to expect. And there's not much excitement in that. You know, I I have a preference towards uh, when it comes to scening, um, the unexpected anticipation, like you say, not following a script um, Mm. such, but just... um, I am not privy to making requests, right? Um, partly because I don't think it's my place to do so, but also because uh, you know, arousal is a is a wonderful thing, and I think the less you know of what's going to happen to you, plays into that psychological aspect. Sure, becomes fear. Not. Yeah, yeah. It becomes. I will. I'll, I'll actually expand on that. It becomes huh. welcomed fear. Trust, yes. But wel- if, if you're in a relationship with a sadist, it's welcomed fear. <laughs> right? Because I've got to get creative. And um, I had a few months ago, uh, my group, they were, there was a couple celebrating their 15 year. And mm-hmm. he's like, I want to be diabolical. And I'm like, I was scared for her. <laughs> and we all went out camping and into the woods. And he's like, I need a tree. And I'm like, what the hell do you have in mind? And he found a tree, got a branch. It was a pine tree. And he, I saw him shaving it down and like smoothing it and sanding it. Well, to celebrate the 15 years lashing and commemoration, she was impaled anally on the branch while being suspended by barbed razor wire and then lashed. Definitely. And it was... It's creative. If pardon for some of my listeners out there, trigger warning. Sorry, I probably should have given that beforehand. Sorry, but, but, um, and the imagery that it conjures up. But it's the same thing. She didn't want to know what the celebration of the anniversary was, and she's yeah. an extreme masochist. So mm-hmm. he, that was extreme, and it was extreme for but a lot he, of us to witness it. Well, he would have been very aware of, of the parameters of what she was capable of. Absolutely. Know. At that point, yes. I mean, they you know, they have children together, they're married. Um they've one breath, one sigh, uh, a movement, a twitch in her body, he knows where she's at. That nonverbal communication. Yes. Beautiful. Um yeah, that's that's amazing, and I think when you're looking at creativity and even you know scaling it back from pine tree impalement to your Bunnings plumbing section, it keeps excitement there. It re-motivates and reinvigorates you to keep doing the things because D-Type put in a lot of work. They put in mm-hmm. a lot of effort um, that is often under-mentioned. Um, just how much, how, how, what great lengths you go to for us to be able to receive those sensations and discombobulation. Um, when you are exposed and seeking out those, those newly creative things, that 
eradicates complacency, perhaps. It does. Um, and, you know, complacency is like a cancer in any relationship. Absolutely. So, um, forward trajectory and, and figuring out what's next, what's new, I think that's um, that's a really exciting presence brings your dynamics. So kudos. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, it's always good. And the reason why, like I sometimes will look for feedback is because I'll hear something. I'll ask about a, her day and things she may have seen and like something that annoyed her. And I'm like, how can I take what, what annoyed her and turn that into something that she's truly going to fear? Yeah. Where in my dark mind of, you know, not, not the, I, the psychological gets shut off for me at that point. I'm just going devious at that point because it, it is, it's, it's that constant game. And you're right. We tend to, we put in a lot of work. There's a lot of mental components to what we do, but we often, well, and Dom, some of the, the, the pretender dominance out there make lambasting doms so easy. But there is very few posts out there that really highlight that the work and effort and the management that goes into the dynamic by dominance. Yeah. And that's a whole other topic we could get into um, and, and probably not for today. But I do want to say this just because I'm looking at the time and I know I've kept you for a while and I've got to run. I want to thank you so much, as always, as, as you were here last time for this, because this was... This was a lot more enlightening than I thought. I was really, I, you gave me another side to think of in, inside of your question. Your question wasn't easy. Your question is, again, more, far more complex. And the deeper level, it's far more introspective. And it doesn't just rock for one side of it. It rocks for both sides of that slash. Mm. And, and for that, I say thank you for that. And I hope for those who listen that they take that away and they look inside of themselves and go, you know what, where am I situated inside of power dynamics? Mm -hmm. So I, again, I appreciate your time again today, Brooke. Um, fantastic as always. Um, no complaints except, except the cat thing, you know, just the cat thing. Oh, <laughs> if, if none of you know, take a look at Brookish's, uh, profile. She has a faux representation of Schrodinger's cat experiment. If you don't know what that is, look that up. Uh, it's a great psychological experiment. You don't know whether the cat's alive because the box is closed. Fortunately, Brooke lets us know. So the experiment is totally flawed and there's no way we wouldn't know. But that was the fun part of it. Please leave Thank affectionate words of <laughs> affirmation on the photo to Please report the photo for a fake social psychological experiment so we can stop psychological appropriation. I could, just, I could just delete your crappy comment, but as expressed, <laughs> I am open to other perspectives and growth, and that's why. Um, as a matter of fact, I think Saifi commented the same thoughts as mine, if I recall, <laughs> on that post. Yeah. Yeah, see? Yeah, I'm not the only one who I failed to... I should change the locks at home, too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> leave it there. All right, Brooke. Well, thank you so much again. And to all of you out there, until next time, everybody, be safe 
and stay kinky.